Open God's words with me, if you would, to the book of Acts, chapter 13. Last week, as we were wrapping up chapter 12 and verses 18 and 19, Herod Agrippa was killing the, executing the guards that had allowed Peter to escape. Little did he know they had absolutely no control over that whatsoever. There was nothing they could have possibly done because the creator of the universe was working and they weren't going to stop him. So Peter walks out of the prison. Shackles fall off. Straight through all the doors. In fact, the doors even open for them with nobody touching them. But Herod being a Herod and being of that famous lineage didn't have to execute him, but he said, yep, we're going to. He did. And we, then, then we, we that, that's that, the same arrogance that killed them because, just because he could. We, if you remember the the wonderfully delicious story we told of how he was eaten of worms for five days and then he died. No, he didn't die and then was eaten of worms. An angel, and, and we talked about that, the angel that struck Peter to wake him up. doesn't say that it was the same angel, but it might have been the same one. The same angel that, that woke Peter up and said, hey, get your sandals on, we're walking out of this prison. Might be the same angel that struck Herod, he didn't cut him, he just gave him some worms, <laughs> gave him some bugs to eat him up. That caused, that's cause for pause. Angel first struck Peter to wake him up, to get him moving. And yet the angel also struck Herod in a much different way. And maybe what does God have planned for us if he wants to wake us and stir us to activity for him to go and preach the gospel and, he, and we don't? Might that angel come back and strike us with worms? I don't think it's ever recorded that it's happened that way, but it just kind of kind of makes you pause and wonder. When, when the angel strikes, when God, the Holy Spirit, strikes you and says, do this for me, pay attention. Pay attention and be prepared to do it for him. Not saying he's going to send the angel and strike you with worms, but just let it be known it's good to do what the Lord tells you to do. Again, quickly in review, at the beginning of the chapter, Herod Agrippa was on his rampage. He beheaded James, and Peter's in jail. By the end of the chapter, Peter's free, Agrippa's dead, and the word of God is multiplying and growing because of the work of the Holy Spirit. And we move on to chapter 13, verse 1. Now there were at Antioch in the church that was there. Do we have that map, Stephen? Okay, we remember Antioch, Jerusalem's down here, Antioch's about 300 miles north. We talked, this is going to now become the base of operations, basically, for the church and its missionary work. 
When it was in Jerusalem, it was primarily targeted to the Jews. The second half of the book of Acts, we're going to start moving out into the, into the Gentile territory. And the, the base of operations, for the most part, is going to be Antioch. Um, Jerusalem isn't ignored. It's still there, and there's still trips and councils in Jerusalem. But um, basically, the base of operations is Antioch. Now, there were at Antioch, in the church that was there, prophets and teachers, Barnabas and Simeon, who was called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene, and Manaen, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. These were the, the leaders of the church in Antioch. And while they were there ministering to the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. This is the work of the Holy Spirit in their lives. It wasn't one day Paul and Barnabas were talking and said, Hey, let's go on a missionary journey. This was the Holy Spirit doing the work, calling them, telling the people in the church, I want these guys to go and be missionaries. Send them out. Verse 3, then when they had fasted and prayed. Now wait a minute. If you go back to the beginning of verse 2, it says while they were ministering to the Lord and fasting. While they were praising the Lord and fasting. Then the Holy Spirit says set them apart. In verse 3, they had fasted and prayed some more. The the, the praying and fasting, the praising the Lord and the fasting was, was a common thing. And, and you know, people will say, well, no place in the New Testament does it command us to fast. But in the New Testament, when Christ spoke, he assumed that you were going to do that. It was kind of the understood subject. Um, if I can find it in my notes. I know it's in Matthew. Well, I'll give it to you when I find it. Um, but, but Jesus Christ uh, said, while you are fasting... He understood that, that it wasn't something that he had to command to do, but it was something that, that it was assumed that we were going to do that. Now, I don't know if any of you do that. I personally haven't. And this is challenging me to, to maybe I need to be doing that. Well, probably I should be doing that. If, if Christ is assuming we're doing it, although he didn't command us to, it's probably something we ought to be doing. When, when, when our... When our Stomachs are empty, it helps our mind to focus. We're able to focus on, on something other than ourselves. Now you may be disturbed by that little grumbling going on down there, but it helps clear the mind and helps to focus. And, and I don't know if any of you are, and you may laugh at this, I don't know if any of you are diabetic or not, but I can tell when my blood sugar is low and down where it should be, my mind is more clear. And I, and I think that's part of the, the fasting process, is it just makes our mind more clear and, and more of the blood is going to our brain to help us think in the process and to focus on Jesus. So anyhow, they, they, they had fasted and they prayed and they laid their hands on them and they sent them away. It, 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 it wasn't a long process. It wasn't a long drawn out thing. The Holy Spirit said, send them. They prayed, fasted, and sent them. Wasn't, you know, a year and a half or two years later, they prayed and they fasted and they sent them. The Holy Spirit did the calling and said, I want you to separate me these guys to go to the mission field. 
The church, I'm sure the church, and anyway, I think it's a prudent thing. The church prayed and said, okay, we want to make sure this is from the Holy Spirit, not just something that somebody decided they wanted to do. So they spent some time as a church, as the church leaders, praying and fasting, and then, yep, that's right, we, we believe this is the Holy Spirit. It's telling us to send these guys out. Send them. So they sent them. Let's go back and look at these verses, tear, tear them apart a little bit here. Uh, the church leadership at that time was very basic, simple. There was prophets and teachers. Okay? Now, the, the, the smart guys break this down, and they, they think that the first three names were given here were more of the prophets, and the last two were the teachers. Well, who were the prophets? Barnabas. We know that Barnabas was the brother of Mary. She, she was the wealthy woman in the church in Jerusalem uh, where, where they most likely had, the disciples had stayed. Uh, uh, I, don't, I won't jump ahead. We'll get to him in, in verse 5. Um, but Barnabas it, it was known to be from Cyprus, the, the island, okay? He was known to be from Cyprus. And if we go back to chapter, the end of chapter 4, beginning and leading into chapter 5, he was the one that sold property and brought the whole thing and laid it at the disciples' feet. And that's, that's when, when Ananias and Sapphira said, oh, we want some of the attention that he's getting. Well, this is that Barnabas. That Barnabas that, that obviously his family uh, must have been good with their money. They, they were wise with their money because Mary was very wealthy in Jerusalem. Barnabas had sold some property that they owned on the island of Cyprus over here. Okay. So that's, that's this guy. And, and we know also that he was the one that went from Jerusalem up to Antioch. And after he was there preaching a little bit, he went around to Tarsus to get Saul and brought Saul back. And together for a year, they, they grew and developed uh, the, the church there and the, the other leaders. Um, and as they say, you know, the best thing a teacher can do is work themselves out of a job, is, is teach so that the student becomes the teacher. And, and that's, that's what Paul and Barnabas, or Saul and Barnabas did here. Simeon, who is called Niger, uh, Simeon, his, his name means black. They believe he, that this was a, a black man from somewhere in Africa. Uh, that, that had come up to Antioch um, for business, uh, travel, and had, had heard the word preached um, so that he became a leader in the church. And then we have Lucius of Cyrene. If we remember, Cyrene was the city down here in North Africa that was um, started by, the, by some Greeks. Okay, so we have a, a Greek Jew there, Lucius of Cyrene, and there in, in these, the, like I say, the, the wise scholars and that write all the commentaries and that, several of them agree, they think that this is how the breakdown was, that, that these three were the prophets, and that these prophets, it wasn't so much, and, and there was foretelling, okay, telling, and, and you just have to turn back one page, um, to chapter 11, verse 28, one of them was named Agabus. He stood up and began to indicate by the Spirit, not in his own power or his dreams or his imagination, but by the Holy Spirit, that there would certainly be a great famine all over the world. Remember that? And then that's where in Antioch that they took up the offering and sent it down to Jerusalem. Okay? 
So these prophets, there was, through the Holy Spirit, there was foretelling, but most of all they were forthtelling. They were preaching, they were giving the word. And then we have the last two in this list, Lucius of Cyrene, or I'm sorry, uh, Manon, who had been brought up with Herod, the Tetrarch, and Saul, that these two were the teachers. These were the sit down and instruct and and pull out your notebook and take notes because there's going to be exam on Friday, okay? These guys got down to the the bare knuckles of the word and taught them. Now, who is is this Manon? Manon? Not sure how I'm saying it. I, I, I was up in Hancock area too long with all the fins. That's why I'm getting the manin in, 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 in there. <laughs> okay. This is Manan. I'll, I'll, I'll go with that. Who had been brought up with Herod. He was either a, a, a foster child in the home or maybe possibly a, a stepbrother um, to Herod uh, Agrippa. The, the guy that just beheaded James. And so they, they think that that's possibly very well how Saul got a lot of his insight into the understanding of the Herods and, the, and how the government worked and, and how the Roman Empire w- would manage its territories. So we've got prophets and teachers. These, these five men were leading the church in Antioch. And, and I know that this has come up before, and, and until the Lord does something to help us out, it's going to keep coming up. But Dick and I wish that there was more leadership in this church. And just in our meeting this week, Dick said, Pastor, we need more guys. He says, I'm kind of getting tired of just the two of us making so many of the decisions. And I said, amen and amen. I hear you, brother. I hear you. There's a lot of this stuff I would love to get off my plate, off my desk, out of my office. But because it's just Dick and I, they, they, they get stuck in there. Okay? Um, Dick and I both would love nothing more than for more men to step up and be leaders in the church. This church, and we don't know how big the church at Antioch was. I'm, I'm guessing it was probably a little bit bigger than this group here. I'm, I'm guessing that it was. And they, they had five men to do the work of the ministry. To, to do the foretelling and the teaching of the body of Christ there in Antioch. And um, lest any of you ever think that I, I, will, I will take and do more than I should because it's got to get done. But I, I do way more than I like, honestly. I'd be much happier sharing, sharing the wealth, so to speak. Um, yeah. I, I, I can do a few things well, but I can't do everything well. And so this, this is my... My heart's desire, folks, you need to know, and I know it's Dick's too. I don't think there's hardly a, an elders meeting that we have uh, when we meet monthly that we don't talk about this and pray for it. The, the men would step up, and, and we, need, we need young men, we need old men um, to, to be in positions to, to teach and preach the word of God.
And that's what they had here in the church in Antioch. They had prophets and teachers. And we also see that we, we have a, a black man from Africa. We have the, the man from Cyrene. We have a, a fellow from Antioch. We, um, Manon, 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 Manon is, is from Antioch. We have Barnabas and Saul. Saul was from Tarsus. Uh, and so it's just another way that we see that, that God is no respecter of persons. There was no racial prejudice in the church, nor should there be today. In any place in the world, there should not be any racial prejudice. And, and as in very respectfully uh, noted that this church in Antioch was willing that the, 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 the important criteria was that you were a follower of Jesus. That was it. Follower of Jesus, you love the Lord, you can be a leader in the church. And the church needs prophets and teachers. While they were ministering and fasting, we talked about this, that the, the, the fasting was just, uh, it was a normal part of the work that they did so that they might be more in tuned. Part of that, uh, be still and know that I am God from Psalm 46.10 is to, to have our focus on him and not on ourselves. It was nice to know that, that, that they were not sitting around expecting everybody else to do the work. They were ministering. We always talk about how it's easier to steer a boat that's moving or a car. If it's moving, it's easy. If it's just, you're just sitting there crank on the wheel but if it's moving a little bit it's so much easier to turn it these fellows were moving forward in the work so when the Holy Spirit said send them they sent them because it wasn't like they had to start from zero and get up to speed they were already moving forward in the, in the work in the ministry in the church there the call was clear the Holy Spirit said, set these men apart for me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work to which I have called them. Let's move on. They sent them. <laughs> Verse 4. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. They went to the island, and when they reached Salamis, they began to proclaim the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they also had John as their helper. Now, the Holy Spirit didn't set apart John Mark for the, the mission work. He had set apart Barnabas and Saul. But John Mark was the nephew of Barnabas. It was Mary, Mary's son from Mary in Jerusalem. The wealthy lady that had the big house, okay? That's, that's where Peter went when he walked out of the prison because that's where they were having the prayer meeting. Just a, a brief note that if God gives you the resources, use them for him. Because he can take them away as fast as he gave them to you, okay? So if you've got resources, give them to God. Use them for his work and his ministry. Mary did. But this is, this is Mary's son, Barnabas' nephew. So he's got, the, he's got the family relation going on. And, and he also and, and may, doesn't tell us. Um, when, when the Holy Spirit said send him out to the ministry, didn't give a lot of details. Didn't tell him where to go. Just said send him. 
And so in, in their own lives, as they were fasting and praying and being sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit, they went to Cyprus, which is, you know, I mean, Barnabas was familiar with Cyprus, so that was a comfortable place to start for him. Why not? So they were sent out by the Holy Spirit. They went down. They took that short boat ride over to Salamis, as you can see here. On the eastern side of the island here, they, they took off from Seleucia here, which is about 16 miles south of Antioch. It's down right at the port. They sailed over to Salamis, and in time, they worked their way back and forth across the island, and the, the distance from Salamis to, to Paphos there is about 90 miles. And that's, that's where they're going to end up. And that's where gonna, they're going to meet their first... I'm sure it wasn't their first opposition, but the first opposition here that's recorded. <clears throat> they, they reached Salamis and began to claim the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. Now we know that their ministry was to be to the Gentiles, but you start out with what you're familiar with. If you're new in town... You, you go to, to some place that you're comfortable with and familiar with, and, and you work out from there. And I, and I, um, I know some missionaries. That, that, that's the part of the project of the mission board that they're with, is that they're going to start a business so that they can, one, it helps support them, and two, it gives them a connection with the locals. As the locals come in to partake of their business, they have the opportunity to get to know them and to share Jesus with them. And it's a place that they'll be comfortable with. And, and so the, these guys, Saul and Barnabas, are comfortable in the synagogue, so that's where they go to begin proclaiming. The Holy Spirit never told them to exclude the Jews from their ministry, but their ministry was going to be primarily to the Gentiles. But here they, they start here and to begin to preach, to proclaim the word of God. Again, John Mark was their helper. We're going to come back to him later in verse 13 next week. Um, we'll leave that there. We'll move on to verse 6. When they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos, at the, at the other end we showed the, at the, the southern tip of the island there, they found a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet, whose name was Bar-Jesus. Now, Bar means son, and, and that wasn't his born name, but it was a name he took so that people would think that he was a son of Jesus. And they knew the work that they had heard, uh, you know, even without Facebook and Twitter and whatever else. They, they had heard about this Jesus and that he was crucified in Jerusalem and, and that he had risen again. And so... This fella, we find his real name. Where, where do we go here? Elymas in verse 8. He, he gives himself the, the name Bar-Jesus because he wants to have the appearance that, that he can do these great works. He's the son of Jesus, so Jesus must have rubbed off on him, right? So he can do miracles and, and trick people out of their money, right? Well, that's what he's doing. It's exactly what he's doing. Verse 7, he, he Bar-Jesus, was with the proconsul Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence. This man summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. Now, we're, we're going to put a, for, 
we're going to, I'm going to put a parenthesis here that really doesn't have anything directly to do, but it does with our, with our message today. Okay. The, the, the Roman, the Roman system was set up that there were certain territories in the, in the kingdom, the empire that Caesar would say, I'm, I'm directly responsible for this territory, this area. And, you know, it just happens to be this beautiful island of Cyprus that he picks, okay? And then there were other territories in the kingdom that the Senate would appoint rulers over so that the, the Caesar didn't control everything. The Senate had a part of controlling some of the territories. And if, if the Caesar got tired of... The, the island of Cyprus, because there was the new better thing than the next thing, okay? He, he wanted to be cool and up with the times. And if there was a new resort that he wanted to control, he could give responsibility of, of Cyprus over to the Senate, and he would take a different territory for himself to, to control. Say, why, why are you saying all this, Pastor? Because... The, to say that this this here um, that it was he was a pro that you had the proconsul who was established by um, by the Senate and the procurators were the ones that that were the governors or whatever set up by Caesar and that's how you distinguish between the territories which was which well people want to say and look back in history and say. Well, see, here's, here's an error in God's word. Because we know that this was Senate-controlled, not Caesar-controlled. Well, what, what they don't know, and, and what they have found and discovered since then, it's kind of like science. Uh, when, you know, when science makes new discoveries, all of a sudden they figure out that the Bible was right. Okay? They, they have found new writings... Well, what's the word I want? Papi- not papaya. Uh, on the papyrus papers, okay, in, in hidden caves in that in, in that country, that showed that this area, Cyprus, actually was under Caesar for five years before he gave it over to the Senate. And so, and, and I probably confused it a little bit because I'm not totally clear on it, but understand that what man is finding out now exactly matches what the word of god says ha imagine that amazing huh but but what they're finding there is that it it was as luke said luke wasn't wrong in what he wrote and so you know once once more scientists or archaeologists have to take another step back and concede that god's word was right Correct. Okay, we'll move on now. That that was just a little sidebar, but it's just it's just really cool to to know that God's word is right. We know it's truth. Okay, so Sergius Paulus, verse seven. He summons Barnabas and Saul because he wants to hear the word of God. He he's got this sorcerer that's that's a close confidant, and and Bar Jesus is always following him. He he likes the attention that he can get from the proconsul. But Sergius Paulus says, I, I want to hear what these guys are saying. And, and again, without, without Facebook and Twitter and email, the governor in Paphos has heard what's going on on his island. 
He's got eyes and ears out there. He knows what's going on. He knows that these guys are on his island and what they're preaching. He wants to hear what they're saying. Verse 8, But Elymas, the magician, for thus his name is translated, was opposing them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. But Saul, who was also known as Paul, okay, and, and they say a lot of times that the, the Jews would take uh, they would have their, their Jewish name, but they would also take the Roman name. And now that they're moving into to Roman territory, and he's going to be preaching the word in, in Roman-controlled areas more, that he, he takes the, in the name Paulus. Now, some, some think that, um, well, I'm, I'm, spoiler alert, okay, Sergius Paulus comes to Christ, okay? And, and some say that, well, because this was... Paul's first famous or big convert that he took his name Paul. Well, all along, Saul, I mean, S-A-U-L-P-A-U-L. There's not a lot, I mean, there's not a lot of uh, difference there, but that Paul is the Roman name that if you were Saul, that you would take. So you can, you can look at it either way. Doesn't matter which, whichever way it is. But from here on out, Saul is going to be called Paul. And in our readings, that's who, who we're talking about. Saul, who is also known as Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, fixed his gaze on Elymas and said, You are full of all deceit and fraud, you son of the devil. Now, remember back in verse 6, we, he called Bar-Jesus. He wanted to be called the son of Jesus. Paul's playing on that, and he says, You son of the devil. Now, normally, most people that are, that are not followers of Christ are not addressed quite so harshly. You may be considered a lost sheep or a, or a sinner in need of salvation, but most of the time, preachers don't go around calling everybody a son of the devil. Well, why is Paul so strong in it here? Paul is so strong in it here is because the word says that Elymas was trying to prevent the proconsul from coming to God. He was trying to prevent him from hearing of and coming to the faith in Jesus Christ. And so anybody uh, that, that would cause anybody to be a stumbling block. Uh, in Hebrews 10, verse 31, says that it's a, a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. That's exactly what this is pointing to here. Here is a man that is trying to prevent... He, he's not just not accepting himself... He's trying to prevent others from coming to faith in Jesus Christ and knowledge. And Paul says, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness. You will not cease to make crooked the straight ways of the Lord. For time's sake, we won't turn there. But if you want to look further, uh, Hosea 14.9. Write that down and look at that later. Hosea 14.9. Says you will not cease to make crooked the straight ways of the Lord. Hey, there, there wasn't nothing straight about Elymas. Okay, he he was all about himself. He was all about making money. He was all about using the name of Jesus to to get rich. And he wanted to use his influence because he he was afraid that if the proconsul, if Sergius Paulus found out the truth, that he wouldn't really care if Elymas was around anymore. And he might even call him out for, for his sins and for what he was doing. So 
Elymas is trying to do everything he can to keep the governor from becoming a follower of Jesus. Now, a key thing here again, I love in verse 9, that Saul becomes Paul, is filled with the Holy Spirit. So what Paul is about to do is, through the filling of the Holy Spirit, he's, he's not doing this in and of himself. But three, three things real quickly. In verse 10, uh, Paul, because he is full of the Holy Spirit, can discern quickly Elymas' attitude and desire and his goal. He, he has discernment. He says, you are full of all deceit and fraud, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness. Didn't take a long time to be acquainted with them. They just arrived in Paphos. Didn't take them long to figure this guy out because the Holy Spirit was opening his eyes to what was going on. Verse 11, Paul relies on the power of the Holy Spirit. Behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you. You will be blind and not see the sun for a time. Immediately a mist and darkness fell upon him and he went about seeking those who would lead him by the hand. It's, it's obvious that he's blind because he needs somebody to lead him. The evidence is there. This really happened. It wasn't just Paul saying it was going to happen. It happened. The guy can't see where he's going. He needs help. Okay? But how, how curious it is. Now, 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 Paul had an incident, if you recall, on that road to Damascus back a little while where he lost his eyesight for a couple of days. And it's interesting that the Holy Spirit brought this back to to light brought this back to light in Paul's mind and memory and, and that this is the tool that the Holy Spirit uses to literally blind Elymas because he is trying to blind others back to that son of the devil he's trying to blind others and keep them from coming to the faith so he is blinded physically he's already blinded spiritually obviously then in verse 12 Paul taught in the power of the Holy Spirit. The proconsul believed when he saw what had happened, being amazed at the teaching of the Lord. He, he wasn't amazed that Paul said, you'd be blind, and he was blind. And he wasn't amazed that Paul was such a gifted speaker, and what a wonderful orator he was. And, you know, Nehemiah is always one of my heroes, but I always go back to Nehemiah, that what he did was done by the hand of the Lord. And here, Paul says, Sergius Paulus, when he saw what was happening, he was amazed at the teaching of the Lord. He wasn't amazed at Paul. He was amazed at our Lord and the teaching of our Lord. And that's where the focus should be. Thank you. In the power of the Holy Spirit, Paul was able to discern in verse 10 and verse 11 he was able to utilize or be a, be a conduit for the power of the Holy Spirit to, to make this man blind physically. And then he, when he taught in the power of the Holy Spirit, the proconsul believed. And isn't that funny? It's exactly what Elimaeus, Elimaeus didn't, didn't want to happen. It's exactly what happens. He was being amazed at the teaching of the Lord. Again, it was, it was 
You, you, you would just think it was really harsh of me if I just sat here and said, to, said somebody that was not a believer to, would say, you son of the devil. But this, this man was on a whole different level. He was trying to prevent others from coming to the Savior. When we, when we give the word, we have to understand that some will be open to it, some will oppose it, and some of those that are open to it, they will embrace it. As, as the proconsul did here. i got just a, another thing I wanted to, to read. Some years ago, a famous radio entertainer delivered this, his version of the Lincoln's Gettysburg Address. His presentation was so different that he was deluged with mail after he delivered the address. You see, the entertainer did some research and found out that when Lincoln delivered the address, he put an emphasis upon one word in that dedication. When we say, we always say that government of the people and by the people and for the people should not perish from the earth. But the entertainer found out that when Lincoln delivered his speech, he said that government of the people, by the people, and for the people should not perish from the earth. Lincoln emphasized not a preposition, but the people. He was moved by the people. That is the emphasis that ought to be in our work and in our assignments. Our work concerns people. It concerns human souls. When we look at the continents of the world, we see people. When we hear the cries of the urban and rural communities of the earth, we hear the cries of people. When we consider the needs of the nations of the earth, we consider the needs of people. When one reads the revelation of the love of God in Jesus Christ who died on the cross, we find God's infinite love for the people. Thus our heavenly mandate is to reach people for the Lord. So that when we preach the gospel as the Lord commands us to, it is to reach the people. It's not to have the biggest and best programs, although programs can be useful tools. It isn't to have the biggest buildings. Buildings can be used of God. Makes me, makes me. I'm, I'm hearing right now in my mind that, that video that we pray, play frequently, the, the church. Maybe we'll have to play that next week. That the, the church is about the people. It's not about the building. And, and we, we are commanded to go and tell, and that's what we need to do. The food baskets are just an opportunity for us to reach out. And the, tool, the shoe boxes are an opportunity to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ to the people. Let's remember that. And this week, okay, guys, we, 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 I know in my past I, I can hear a, a, a previous pastor saying that, that um, I don't know if it was Thomas Aquinas or which, which Roman Catholic priest it was, but he said, you know, witness for Jesus Christ and when necessarily use words. I think that's a really messed up philosophy. He said, you know, the, the idea was that you live an example, and, and we do need to do that, was that you live an example so different from the world that the world will come and ask you, and I get that, and yes, that's important. We do need to live differently than the world lives, but we're also, also commanded to go and tell. We need to use our words, people. We need to tell the people around us. Now, if our life isn't any different than the world's, then then you're in a quandary. Then how, how can I talk this, but I'm living like this? 
So we, we got to make sure in, in the, the title of my sermon, go, talk the talk, and walk the talk. We can't just, we just can't talk the talk. We have to walk the talk because if, if we walk the talk, then when we talk, the people will listen to it because it matches our walk. But the key is that we need to talk to the people that Jesus puts in our lives each and every day. Family, friends, neighbors, workmates, schoolmates. We need to talk and spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for the lives of these these five men that were leaders in the church in, in Antioch. And then... Saul Saul to Paul and Barnabas that that listen to the sending of the Holy Spirit to go. Father, help us each and every day to be missionaries for you. Thank you for your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, Don't forget.